Welcome back to another round of the AP World History Podcast. Uh, we are now going to begin our Unit 5 look at uh, history, and that's going to take us from 1750 to 1900, uh, leading us up to the World Wars happening after that, and leading us up to what are we consider our modern uh, world. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the foundation of that world, which really starts here in these 150 years or so. And uh, the main reason why it happens is because this is a time of revolution. Uh, we're going to be looking at mainly political revolutions today, uh, but it's a lot more than political revolutions. It's uh, going to be the Industrial Revolution, which, uh, which revolutionizes how we uh, create products uh, and how we then live our lifestyles and uh, just many more things on that. So uh, we're going to be focusing on that over the next uh, few weeks here. And uh, we're going to be starting, though, with the political side of things. So this is going to break down into three parts. Um, on this lecture, we're going to be looking at the North American uh, and the 13 Colonies Revolution against the British. And then we're going to also look at the French Revolution. Um, and we're going to try to compare them a little bit. And then we are going to uh, look at the Haitian and the Spanish Revolution after that. And then... From all these revolutions that happen, we also are going to look at a couple more cultural revolutions that happen, like the abolition of slavery, um, the feminist movement, and the nationalist movement after this. So uh, those are going to be our three parts, and uh, we're going to be starting here with the uh, American Revolution. So you guys should have a little bit of a base in this from uh, history classes that you've had in your past and uh, what you've learned just as kind of an American, uh, but... Uh, I'm going to go into some more details, and you're going to hear me say maybe some controversial things for an American historian to be saying, because uh, I don't have the normal uh, view of what most American historians or most American U.S. history teachers or whatever, high school history teachers will tell you. Um, so, uh, American Revolution starts in 1775, uh, but it really began, or it starts beginning a long before then. So we got to know some of the history of the, the events leading up to it. So the 13 colonies, they're founded by the British. Um, not all of them originally. Uh, you get ones like New York that were set up by the Dutch uh, or uh, Delaware, and um, that area originally being colonized by the Swedes. Uh, but uh, the British eventually take over the whole seaboard there. <coughs> The French still had, or the French had Canada, and the Spanish have Florida. Um, and uh, what had been going on over the past couple hundred or past hundred years or so of that, uh, of these colonies being set up, is there were some global wars. There were global wars, the the Anglo-Dutch wars between the English and the and the Dutch, and that led the English to get places like New York and stuff like that. And then there was uh, once the Dutch kind of lost their power globally. Then the French became England's main rival again, and they started fighting uh, again uh, over about a 100-year span that will include the American Revolution. And um, these will be global wars. They're not just fought in the Americas. They're not just fought in Europe. They are fought all across where these two rivals have empires um, or colonies abroad. And the last of these before the American Revolution of these global conflicts was the French and Indian War uh, in American textbooks and in American history. Uh, but globally, it's known as the Seven Years' War. And this war will lead to the American Revolution, which will lead to the French Revolution, which will lead to the Haitian Revolution, which leads to the Spanish and Mexican Revolutions. And... Uh, if, if this war didn't happen, I mean, you, you can't speculate what would have happened in history, but 
there are a few wars that have maybe as much impact as the Seven Years' War globally, or at least on Western Europe and, and what happens and, and what happens with the colonies. Because the effects of that war will, will go on for the next, uh, for, well, for the 50, or, well, still hit us to the present because of all the independent countries that come about from it. But they set off these, um, the, this era of revolution because it was a very expensive war. And so when the war is over, the British win uh, and their allies win and they beat the French. And so they gain France's Canada pro Canadian provinces uh, and they take those in. Um, they also gain the uh, land to up into the Mississippi. And uh, so that's a lot of territory they gain. And so that should bring in a lot of money. But it doesn't. You accrue a lot of debt when you fight a war, especially a global war over many different theaters. Uh, that's very, very expensive. And so the British have to find somewhere to make money um, to pay their debts. The British people at home are already paying exorbitant taxes. And the American colonists haven't really had to pay any taxes. They pay some import taxes on sugar and stuff like that, but nothing significant. And the British never really tried to tax them directly. Although technically, uh, although the American citizens will say they can't because they're not represented, they are represented by parliament. Uh, they're not going to get representatives into parliament, which is what the Americans want. It, it's a completely impractical idea, and they would be overruled consistently. Uh, because the American population was not as big as the uh, British population at home. So the eventual fight of what the Americans want is equal represent or representation or no taxation without representation. That call coming out is, is an unrealistic thing, I, in, in my opinion, and is unjustifiable for why they eventually break away. And I'll talk about the tax that kind of pushes them over the edge and starts the war uh, in a second because that's going to be a whole different thing. But... They need to get money. And so there's a stamp tax in Britain, and the parliament goes, well, we can put the stamp tax on the Americans just like we do at home. And so they place the stamp tax. Well, if you know your history, uh, the Americans protest it. There's violent protests against it. They make sure none of the stamps can ever be used. And the British back down and say, okay, fine, no stamp tax. Uh, so then they come up with the Townsend Acts, which tax certain luxury goods and stuff like that. Uh, and the Americans go, no, you can't do that. They protest that, and they make sure they don't buy any of those goods or buy as little as they can, and they make their own. And so the British businesses go, hey, uh, we, we're not making money. Please stop this. And they stop, and they actually sell a lot more than what they were selling before the stamp or the Townsend Act came in. And that's also something that happens with the, the Stamp Act. They, they, they protest these... Um, protest British goods, but then go back to buying them as soon as they, they won their way, uh, which shows you that the Americans weren't really trying to break away or they weren't looking to fully break away, but they wanted to have more rights or, or maybe not necessarily, well, yeah, rights or stay, remain independent while still being with the British Empire. Um, so then you get finally the Tea Act. The Tea Act is always told, I shouldn't say always told, but a lot of the time is told as it is a tax on tea that's a misunderstanding of it because what it actually was was a way for the uh, East India Company, uh, if you remember that from our last unit, uh, they are in India trading for tea and they're bringing back lots of tea, but they are being undercut 
uh, by Dutch merchants who are having Americans like John Hancock and Sam Adams and other major figures in the American Revolution um, smuggle their Dutch tea into it for cheaper prices and sell it for cheaper prices than the East India tea, even though that tea is a higher quality tea. The Americans don't care about it being high, higher quality and they want the cheaper stuff, so they go with that. And so um, the British then come up with the Tea Act, which is going to allow the East India Company to sell directly, undercut those American merchants, undercut those smugglers, and sell their tea and then make money off of it still. Well, as you can guess, the smugglers don't like that, the merchants don't like that, and so then they get the people up in a storm about that, that the they're going to be undercut and the British are stepping too far on things. But they're stepping too far in that the British were going to um, lower the price of tea for the Americans and enforce laws that were on the books already. This is where I can't go with the American Revolution, that the reasons for it are wrong. The end result is great. We become our own country and all that stuff. We, we, we might at some point talk about some of the negative effects that happen with us becoming our own country, like uh, the push westward and what happens to the Native Americans in the territory, because uh, that's also one of the underlying reasons why the Americans don't like the British and want to break away is because, um, well, I guess I might as well go into it now, but you had the tax issues and no representation or no taxation without representation. They really fought for that. And I think that's unrealistic to actually try to coordinate that stuff over, over the Atlantic with the lack of instant communication like we have today. And um, so they didn't like the idea of taxes and the British then uh, leaving an army there after the, um, after the Seven Years' War, and so the colonies had to kind of pay for that. They didn't like that stuff, even though they were there to protect them and keep them from fighting with the natives, because the British deemed that uh, with the with the possible fighting between American settlers and Native Americans, because American settlers wanted to keep pushing west into Native lands, that uh, that would eventually lead to war, and the British didn't want to have to dig the Americans out of it again, because they've had to dig them out every time so far. And so the Americans need to pay for that uh, army to be there, and they need to stop pushing westward. Well, this also was frowned upon by founding fathers, especially one like George Washington and others who were speculating on that land and were surveyors. George Washington, in his, uh, professionally, was a surveyor. Um, and so he was hoping to, to make a lot of money off those territories out west. And so there, there's a lot of reasons why the American Revolution happens. It's not just taxes, but... Um, being that I'm 10 minutes into this podcast and we haven't even got to the French Revolution yet, I need to get moving on with this. So the American Revolution happens. Uh, it starts in 1775 after the Boston Tea Party. Um, after things went down there, the British put in the Intolerable Acts, which really persecuted Boston for their actions, which would be deemed if those things kind of happen today as terroristic type acts, but we don't say they're that because, well, those are our founding fathers and we don't want to say really negative things there. Uh, but if you take the, the one person's patriot, is going to be another person's terrorist. Uh, we can see that in, in other actions across the world today with how we frame things. Um, so 
uh, you have those acts, and that will lead to eventually Lexington and Concord, uh, where the British go out and try to confiscate some gunpowder, and the Americans fight back. And so you have the first shots of the revolution, and at that point, there's pretty much no backing down. Uh, neither side are going to give in, and so you get the Declaration of Independence uh, less than a year later in 1776, and then that really starts the whole like direct fighting, and we have a Continental Army and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, nothing really goes well for the Continental Army. The only thing that happens within the next year that's really good is the Battle of Saratoga in 1777, where the Americans win a major battle uh, over British really poorly executing uh, their plan to cut off the colonies and leave one army to be attacked by the Americans, and it gets obliterated. Um, and that victory brings the French in, which now makes this a global conflict. Instead of it just being a civil war between or a revolution between the Americans and the British, um, it becomes a global conflict. France joins, eventually Spain will join, eventually the Netherlands will join. And other European powers are looking to join to beat up on the British because there's nothing better than beating up on your rivals in Europe uh, when you're a European power. And so uh, that will lead us then over the next well, eight years or so uh, until we get to the Battle of Yorktown. And... Uh, the, uh, I'm going to do air quotes here, the end of the war. Uh, the, the Battle of Yorktown is deemed end of the war. Uh, I can't remember exactly if it says that in the textbook or not. Uh, it doesn't go into the specific battles and a lot of that stuff too much. Um, <coughs> but uh, when you get into U.S. history and stuff like that, they'll usually say the Yorktown's the end of the war. Technically, the war went on for another two years after that because of the global conflict outside of it. And uh, the Americans were expecting more counterattacks from the British to come, but they were getting worn down. And again, we're focused in other areas where they had fighting. So eventually you'll get the Treaty of Paris uh, two years after that that will declare the Americans as independent. And with that, you have uh, this new nation being established, uh, which then uh, that first constitution that we have is known as the Articles of Confederation, that will be abandoned, and eventually we'll get the Constitution, Constitution, where you have the Bill of Rights, and you get our government that we look at and have today that has George Washington as the first president of it. You have a Congress with two houses, a, a, um, a lower house being the House of Representatives and a higher house being the Senate. You have a Supreme Court, um, and you get all those things. And if you remember uh, from... Uh, our look at the Enlightenment figures, This is that structure is based off of the ideas of Montesquieu. Uh, the reasons why we break away are from the ideas of John Locke and Jean-Jacques John Rousseau, and they're going against the ideas of a Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes would be what the British were trying to use in saying that, no, you're here for our protection, and you've lost your other rights from that, and you shouldn't be declared fully British citizens anyways because you're colonists across the Atlantic. Um and you're not paying full taxes and stuff like that. So uh, the the American Revolution happens um, in that kind of way. Uh, the French Revolution then comes a few years after that uh, because the French took on a heck of a lot of debt when they didn't have the ability to do that to pay for it um, and help the Americans out. And then they don't stop their spending. And uh, at the time... Uh, they were divided up into three estates or three classes, you could say. There's the first estate, which was the, um, which was the religious leaders, 
then you had the second estate, which was the nobles. And then you had the third estate, which was everyone else. So all the commoners, all the middle class, middle upper class people, people that were not nobles were in that class. And uh, the neither the the nobles nor the Catholic or no, the nobles nor the priests or the clergy paid taxes, uh, while all the lowest of the low uh, paid heavy taxes to try to subsidize all of this. So, the the backs of the people in the French Revolution are being broken by taxes. Hey, look, a similarity there between the American Revolution and that. They have absolutely no say in their government, though, because it's an absolutist monarchy. Uh, you have Louis the Sixteenth as the king at the time, uh, who's a descendant of Louis the Fourteenth, who really is the peak of absolutism. And uh, so, on top of the government being bankrupt and trying to tax the heck out of other people, they have uh, starvation going on from bad harvests and bad weather. Um, and the people eventually get fed up and uh, begin to revolt. And you'll see this with the Bastille. Um, the Bastille was a prison within Paris, and the people uh, got upset with the treatment of uh, the pr political prisoners that were in there and were upset about all the taxes and the lack of anything happening. And so they um, go to the Bastille and we'll tear it down uh, looking for the gunpowder and stuff like that. Uh, and this is when the revolution gets fairly violent uh, or starts the violence of the French Revolution. And we're going to see the French Revolution, or at least I, I might say the French Revolution is more, um, is more violent than the American Revolution, but um, that's, that's, probably a, um, that's probably a misstatement. Uh, because as I'm learning uh, through reading and researching and doing stuff like that more, um, we, we kind of gloss over some of our, our violence and the kind of civil war that happened in the American Revolution. And this isn't a class where we're going to go into it too much. I like going into that kind of stuff, but um, it, it's, we don't have the time uh, for it. But uh, essentially what happened in the southern states is a civil war. And we see some really gruesome things happening here. Uh, but we're going to see the same things happen um, in, in the... It, we're going to see a lot of violence and a lot of uh, butchery and stuff like that happening in the French uh, Revolution. So, uh, the Bastille stormed on July 14th, 1789. Um, this was... Uh, I can't remember if the Estates General had already been meeting. I'm sorry. Uh, but, yeah, the Estates General had met, and the reason why they went after the Bastille was, uh, again, they were trying to get um, um, gunpowder and weapons and stuff like that to be able to fuel revolution. Uh, and this is just the commoners um, the in Paris trying to uh, set this up. But the Estates General had um, been called by Louis the Sixteenth. Uh, and that was a representative body of the people. It hadn't been called for a, a good while before then. Um, but it brought together the, the three estates, so the, the nobles, the clergy, the commoners, and uh, they voted on whether new taxes should be raised. And the clergy and nobility, who had m as many votes as the commoners did, although they were only about, oh, 5% of the population or so, uh, or at least less than 10% of the population, um, they, uh, 
they said, no, we're not raising taxes on ourselves and the commoners can find ways to pay for more of it. And the commoners didn't like that. Um, and with no impasse or with no solution coming, the uh, third state would eventually break away and become the National Assembly. And uh, with the actions and what was going on, the people were getting fed up with uh, what was going on. And they decide to um, kind of the, the people of Paris decide to start taking things into their own, their own hands. So you have uh, the Bastille Day. Then you get an event of the storming of Versailles, which is where uh, the king resided, his palace just outside of Paris uh, in Versailles. And they dragged the king and queen uh, and their family back to Paris to live in the palace in Paris. And uh, then the king and queen will eventually try to escape. And uh, that, that doesn't work out too well. It doesn't look good when you're the king trying to run, run away from your own country. And so the people will feel betrayed by him. And that will lead to him and his wife eventually getting their heads chopped off by Madame La Guillotine. And um, so that's going to that's gonna set up the French Revolution. And it's going to be, uh, or not, that's not going to set up the French Revolution. It's going to be a continuation. But that's going to end the monarchy in the French Revolution. Um, so uh, with Louis XVI's head cut off, the French shift tactics from trying to uh, become a more constitutional monarchy, which is what uh, originally was the goal of it, uh, and to find and get more rights for the commoners and have them represented more and not pay all the burdensome taxes, to uh, the commoners taking over and setting up a democratic institution or a republic. And uh, this is when you get the... Um, We'll, we'll get the Committee on Public Safety and um, essentially their version of a parliament coming about. Uh, but it won't be a parliament. It's called, shoot, 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 shoot. Uh, sorry, I can't find out exactly what they called it. And I should know this. Um, well, the National Assembly becomes it, but I don't think it was the National Assembly then. But whatever. So you get this, uh, you get this trend of, of major radicalization after King Henry, or not King Henry, sorry, King Louis gets his head cut off. Um, and this is the first five years of the ref revolution that this happens. Uh, but you have, uh, you have a lot of violence going on uh, because of a committee of public safety that doesn't really do anything for safety and instead looks for anyone that is not part of the French Revolution and tries to kill them. And it's led by a dude named Maximilien Robespierre. And he uh, kind of goes crazy a little bit and uh, freaks out and tries to get rid of anyone that might be a threat to them. And so tens of thousands of people are killed at the guillotine in Paris alone. Uh, across the country uh, or kingdom, you're seeing a lot of fighting going on too. It's not just something in Paris, although that's where we're going to mainly focus. But we're also going to see some uh, outside of just the guillotine and the, the, the killing of those people, we're going to see a major shift in culture or, or a, an attempt at a force shift in that uh, Robespierre will try to uh, ban religion, but then create his own religion based on science and reasoning. Um, you create a new calendar uh, with a new system. I think the weeks were 10 days long. You don't need to know that stuff. 
Um, but uh, they also created a new government that was a republic, uh, which we already saw going in. Uh, they create a new uh, system of the army that is based on merit and not noble birth and stuff like that that got you into high positions, uh, which was a major issue with the French army before. It also drafted people, and um, they learned to mix their new draft recruits with their veteran soldiers, and that made them a very, very hard army to stop, uh, which allowed them to then take on the foreign powers that tried to come in and, and put the, the king back on the throne. Um, the rest of Europe did not like this. They didn't like what happened with the American Revolution. They didn't like what was going on here with the French Revolution. And so this army, uh, this Revado's army, was, was key for the French Revolution to actually be, um, whether you want to say it's successful or not, to, for it to eventually lead to Napoleon taking over, um, it, this had to happen. And for Napoleon to have the success he did, he had to have this new army structure. Um, <coughs> but the rest of Europe didn't like this. Um, and so they tried to go in and squash this rebellion, but uh, they were not able to do that. And that actually kind of also led to issues with Louis XVI. Um, uh, some other changes, though, that we see. Uh, after, um, after the radicalization, we see things calm down a little bit, uh, but we never see it go back to we want a monarchy until we get Napoleon there. Uh, and I'm just going to focus on the politics side of things for right now, and then we'll get to some of the other social things that we see happen. But um, you'll see a somewhat democratic form of government up until you get to the um, up until you get to Napoleon, and he is a man that rose the ranks in the military, and uh, eventually, because of all his military successes, he'll come back, uh, become a part of the government, and then become the emperor of France. So replacing the old monarch with essentially a new monarch that's enlightened and you can put that in air quotes uh, but he does do some uh, grand things and does reform the French government um, he, he ended all the violence that was going on uh, and brought stability where there wasn't every couple years you're having drastic changes happening in the government um, he created a new law code known as the Napoleonic code which becomes the base law code it's the first major major law code uh since uh the likes of justinian's law code uh back in uh the uh, the eastern roman empire or the byzantine empire um he will also uh take the this new army and try to conquer all of europe and conquers a good chunk of it and then just gets too greedy and goes into russia um and you don't go into russia because it's too big and two, you don't go into Russia in the fall because that's the muddy season. And then that muddy season, which will bog you down and keep you from getting to wintering places, will then get you into Russia in the middle of winter, which will then kill you. So one thing to remember from Napoleon, from Hitler when we talk about him, and if you talk about my uh, favorite Swedish king, uh, Charles XII, uh, will be never invade Russia, uh, especially during the muddy season because that leads to the winter and then you freeze to death. Um, oh, some other radical things that Napoleon did, um, and actually this whole revolution did, uh, was it ended feudalism in uh, France. It will also lead to feudalism being pretty much stamped out in, the, in a lot of the rest, rest of Europe. It will lead to equality between all citizens. Now, I should put that in air quotes of all male citizens. Um, and although still things aren't truly equal there, they, you do have more equal rights with everyone. Not everyone can vote yet. Uh, but you do have equal rights. 
um, it will lead to more religious tolerance and uh, it will lead to a rise in nationalism, uh, especially of France being French and people wanting to fight for the French uh, ideas. Um, but it will also lead to nationalism in other areas, and we'll talk about that at the end of the last podcast. Uh, the other things that it does, outside of Napoleon and what he did, uh, we see, or actually expanding on the, the equality part, we see something known as the Declaration of Rights of Man, uh, which is based off of uh, Thomas Jefferson's ideas of what rights people should have, uh, which um, will be inspiration for what uh, America declares as rights in the Declaration of Independence, or not Declaration of Independence, that was way before this, sorry. Uh, but they're similar to ones that we have in the Bill of Rights. Um, and we'll try to take a look at that sometime throughout the week here. And uh, we also see women starting to fight for their rights through this. Uh, the women will say, hey, you know what? We're doing a lot of this fighting. We're, we're helping out with this revolution, and so therefore we should have equal rights to you. And so you have the Declaration of Rights of Man and Woman um, coming about, and uh, especially because they helped in events like the Bastille or the storming of Versailles, the March on Versailles of Women, uh, where they tried to get food for their kids. Um, but they will not get what they're asking for. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Uh, we're not going to see that happening and equal rights of women being able to vote until we get to the 1900s or so. And um, what else? I think that's kind of all. A uh, couple things to think about here for similarities and differences is you see this as uh, the French Revolution as being an internal uh, rebellion um, a against uh, a monarchy. Uh, whereas the American Revolution is a colony rejecting uh, the the uh, parent or parent country uh, or kingdom. Uh, also, with the American Revolution, you actually see them fighting for maintenance of the same or what they actually want to happen. You don't see radical change happening. Whereas in the French Revolution, you're going to see radical changes of, of more people getting rights of. Uh, new systems being put in place, that banning of religion, and then the tolerance of religion when those things weren't done before. Uh, so you see a lot of changes happening in this, and this will inspire more revolutions. Um, not that the American Revolution didn't do them, but a lot of uh, historians will say the French Revolution had a bigger impact on revolutions because of how radical it became versus the American Revolution, which... Uh, was not as as radical. It was actually some will argue a the Americans were trying to maintain uh, the lifestyles that they had and prevent changes com from coming about that the uh, British were looking to do with their taxes and their implementation of stricter controls on them. So uh, that's the French Revolution, American Revolution in a nutshell. Uh, that's a little bit more than what the book goes into. Uh, I like this stuff, so I apologize for going on. Uh, I realize this is now at 30 minutes, so I will try to keep the other podcast to a much shorter length uh, to make up for that. So uh, next up, though, will be the Haitian and the French revolutions.